five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go, to the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea, caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural side from the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Joe Lazowskis, head of content strategy at Contently, about his new book, The Storytelling Edge, and key frameworks journalists can use for effective storytelling. Let's begin. Hi, Joe. How are you? Good. Coming to you here from New York, a little bit allergic, a little bit nasally, but hopefully you guys can uh, deal with that over the next half hour or so. That's fine. You said you were very. You said you were sick, but you said sound good to me. Um, how's how's everything with the book launch? I'm sure it, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Uh, we've been getting a really good reception everywhere from London to Las Vegas. Just the best part is seeing people post pictures with their books, you know, writing reviews, reaching out to us, telling you know, us how it's helping them do their job better and inspiring them to tell some really cool new stories, launch new content initiatives inside their companies. So and it's been fantastic. I think that's what you want, right? Is a really actionable, I hate that buzzword, but you know, you want to see people doing stuff as a result of reading your book. So that's probably the coolest part. Yeah, not just being emotionally charged and then inspired, just feel like they're inspired just to actually do things. So that's that's 100% on the point. Yeah. And that's why I brought you on the podcast in the first place because I like you to more practically educate people around storytelling and the storytelling frameworks that you've mentioned in the book. Yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, we literally spent all of our advance on marketing, so we definitely didn't do this to make money. 100%. So just for people who don't know much about you and about the book, if you can provide, and, and about content as well, if you can provide a background. Sure. So I head up content strategy at Contently. So Contently is a technology company that connects a network of over 100,000 freelance creatives, journalists, filmmakers, infographic artists, videographers, graphic artists, etc., uh, with brands and media companies that are looking to scale their content program. And we also provide a really cool uh, AI-enhanced technology platform that allows you to manage your entire content program, measure success, optimize what sort of stuff you're creating. Uh, and really, you know, where my team falls in is in helping people figure out, like, what the hell they should actually do. What content should we be creating? How should I get this in front of people? How am I actually measuring success and ensuring that I'm building deeper relationships with the audience I want to reach? So that's really where my specialty lies. I, you know, I'm a journalist by trade. I started a news site called The Faster Times uh, when I was in college, built one of the first branded content studios uh, in the media industry here in New York there. When we sold that, I came over to Contently to in the early days, we were just a few employees to run our co- internal content and media arm, and then our content strategy program. Uh, so, just sort of been living and breathing this for ten years, 
Uh, and the book is something, The Storytelling Edge is a book I wrote with uh, our co-founder here at Contently, Shane Snow, a really great writer and journalist in his own right, uh, has a couple of other best-selling books in addition to this bestseller. And we just wanted to write a book that would help people tell better stories and then use them in a way that would actually be sustainable for their business model, whether they're in marketing or whether they're in media. Because what we really saw as the transformation in our industry over the last five years or so is a lot of people being tasked with going out there and creating content online, but not a lot of folks who knew how to do it really well. Running from the gamut of the lifelong search and SEO and lead gen marketer who had their boss pointing to them and saying, go out there and start a blog and start creating really great content that's going to compete with you know, Harper's and The Economist and The New York Times, um, who never actually came from an editorial background or knew how to do that, to the media person who might be working at a digital upstart and just stuck in a loop of cranking out meaningless, shitty, 300-word listicles every day that's totally generic and not unique from anything else on the web. So we saw a lot of people who needed a little bit of help to up their storytelling game, to figure out how to use stories really effectively uh, from a business model point of view. And we wanted to put all those lessons that we'd learned into a fun to read, obviously story-driven book. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And with Contently, where is it at today? I believe you guys focus more on enterprise clients these days. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We work with everyone from fast growth mid-market clients to enterprise clients. Our solution is inherently built for people with bigger, more complex operations. So think like big banks, big tech companies like Dell, American Express, Chase, GE, those sort of companies, as well as you know fast growth startups like Zappos. We also see some publishers use us to manage their editorial and native advertising program because the system is built really well for managing you know, hundreds of writers and hundreds of users all in one central platform. So you're not just using Google Docs and you know, email threads from hell to manage your editorial program, but actually have everything contained within one uh, central software platform. How did you come to the opportunity of actually writing the book with Shane? How did that come about? So Shane and I are really close friends. We basically, I saw Shane speak at Techstars six and a half years ago when I was covering tech in New York. Uh, and I had started to do kind of similar stuff to what Contently was doing when building out a branded content studio at my business. And so we just got to talking, got to uh, getting basically pizza, uh, splitting a pizza once every two weeks because Shane was Mormon at the time, so couldn't drink beer. Uh, so our vice was pizza to get together and just kind of talk about media, argue with each other about where we thought the media and marketing industries were headed, what an actual successful model for journalism looked like in the future. I started doing some freelance work for Contently, some content strategy, some editing. Then I came on full time as one of our first employees. And we just sort of been writing about this stuff and talking about this stuff at different conferences and presentations forever. and. We just decided last summer, pretty much after we were super depressed after the election, to throw our energy into, well, one, protesting and donating money everywhere, but also uh, just sitting down and you know spending six months just cranking out this book. 
and they moved really quickly. Uh, we were really lucky uh, in how fast this kind of went from an idea to a reality. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, I think, like you, you, you already alluded to everything around improving the quality and the standards. So I'm, I'm all for that. So Joe, let's let's go straight into what. So what's the overview of the storytelling edge? Yeah. So I mean, the book is really about art and science of storytelling. So we spent a lot of time on the new neuroscience of storytelling that's emerged over the last decade. Uh, a lot of the work um, of a neuroscientist called Dr. Paul Zak, who has essentially found that there's an incredible amount of things that happen in our brains when we hear a story. As human beings, we're uniquely wired for stories. It's how we passed on information when we were sitting around caves and making sure that we didn't get eaten by woolly mammoths, how we taught each other how to survive before the written language, how we taught each other how to find food, to stay safe, to build bonds within communities was through stories. And a big reason that stories work so well is it actually leads to a lot of neurochemical reactions in our mind. There's this drug called, uh, this neurochemical called oxytocin that essentially acts as an empathy drug in our brain. And it makes us feel really bonded uh, to people and to things. And for a while, we didn't really know what oxytocin was. We knew that it would appear when a mom was with her baby. We didn't know what other triggers there were. Over the last 10 years, what Dr. Paul Zach's team has found is that stories are actually one of the biggest triggers uh, for oxytocin in our brain, for this neurochemical. So when we hear a really good story, um, a story that follows some fundamental elements that isn't just you know a generic fact sheet dressed up as an article, but a really uh, immersive story that sucks us in, it triggers the release of oxytocin in our brain, which makes us feel more connected to the person we're hearing the story about, or the person or entity that's telling us that story, be it a media company or be it a brand. And when we hear stories, our brain lights up at five times the areas that it does normally when we're just passively receiving information. So as a result, we feel this really strong bond with who's telling us a story. And we're also much more likely to retain that information, which is really key if you know, you're a marketer, you're a publisher, and you want to be remembered. So we reveal a lot of what types of stories trigger that reaction in your brain. And then we detail the timeless art and tactics that you can use to learn how to tell really good stories, better stories than you're probably telling today. And the second half of the book is about how to operationalize that, how to put that into practice within your business. Um, so you're actually using storytelling to drive business results that your CEO is going to care about. And it's not this soft, fluffy, amorphous thing. So you were saying before we started as well that there's a specific one specifically, there's a specific framework that publishers, media publishers can use. What's the one that you want to go through today in this podcast? Well, one that works well on podcasts is the four elements to great stories. Mm -hmm. So four elements are relatability, novelty, fluency, and tension. So when we think about great stories throughout history, the four common keys and themes that you can see across all of them uh, and how they actually interact with our brain. So starting off with relatability. So we are uniquely wired to be interested in stories or protagonists that we can see ourselves in. That isn't immediately too foreign, but we actually see that reflection in. It's why when you're a teenage 
boy, you probably loved if you're like me, like Fahrenheit 451 and Lord of the Flies and Hemingway novels, novels and stories where I could see myself in. Even think about this in something like Star Wars. Star Wars on the surface is a very foreign atmosphere to be thrown into from a story and film perspective. But Luke is such a relatable character. He's really this all-American boy, you know, working on a dirt farm. We can immediately relate to him and see ourselves in him. He's just sort of a, a normal guy in a lot of ways. And a lot of the other elements of Star Wars are extremely relatable. The spaceships are kind of reminiscent of 1950s hot rods of this 1950s Americana. A lot of the fashion evokes the fashion of the 60s and the 70s. So it makes it so the story isn't so unrelatable that our brain goes, oh, no, I don't want to deal with that. It sucks us in. But once you've made a story relatable, you've brought someone in through a protagonist or a situation that they can see themselves in, you can't just tell them you know, the same story they've heard a million times before. You need novelty. You need something new. When we actually we see or hear something new that we haven't seen or heard before, our brain lights up. It's this curiosity factor, this alert factor in our brain that on evolutionary terms allowed us to notice and adjust to new threats and new situations and learn from them. So if you want to trigger the brain, you can't go with pure novelty off the bat because you won't get sucked in. But once you're sucked in through the relatable elements of the story, you want to introduce something new and weird. I think you can see in a million ways how Star Wars does this well. The next key is fluency. Uh, something that a lot of business publishers and a lot of brands get really wrong, which is putting up barriers between the audience and yourself in terms of the ability to comprehend and easily follow whatever story you're telling. If you look at the best writers in history, they all generally wrote on an elementary or middle school level. Hemingway, Fitzgerald, J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, etc. They all wrote at a really accessible level. They didn't use a lot of jargon. They didn't use complex sentence structure. They made it really easy for people to get engrossed in the stories they were telling. Uh, the same thing in really good film and really good video. The films and videos that we like, they move quickly. They keep our brain constantly engaged through quick cuts, through action, through interesting different points of view. Um, they aren't just that generic talking head, old white dude staring at a camera and rattling onto you about 401ks that we see in a lot of really bad brand videos and a lot of really bad media content. It's really easy to be engrossed in, easy to understand. Uh, and the final one is tension. So Aristotle once said that the key to a great story is establishing the gap between what is and what could be, and then closing that gap over and over again. So closing that gap between what could be, what is for me in say my dissatisfied life, but what could be if I get the girl, if I pull off this bank robbery, if I solve this problem. And then moving through the story towards you close that gap and you almost close that gap, but then it opens up again with a new problem. And then you almost close that gap and then it opens up again. And you do this over and over again until the climax of the film. And that's what in a story keeps us on the edge of our seat. That what makes us not want to go up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie. It's what makes us not want to put down that book before we go to bed. That tension is the key to really good storytelling. And it's something that is fundamental. And yet we often forget, especially when we're rushing or we're trying to tell a really safe story.
how do you see journalists taking that approach today? Like uh, there was last week, on the time of this recording last week, there was the Pulitzer Prize that was released and a lot of the New York Times journalists and got coverage for the Harvey Weinstein case and, and different related stories. Do you think some of the elements you mentioned in, in what you said now are related in, in, in their coverage? Or what do you think are some of the yeah. examples out there that are close to what you're, what you're trying to explain and preach? I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at really good original content, they contain these elements. You know, you look at what won the Pulitzers, it was really good engrossing investigative reporting that puts something new out into the world, right? You're not winning a Pulitzer for rewriting the same Trump story over and over again. You're doing it for bringing new information and new stories into the universe, into our media landscape. And if you look across the media industry right now, I was speaking at the International Journalism Festival in Italy a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And what you see is this transformation in the media industry is away from just chasing page views at all costs. During the VC-backed digital media heyday of 2011 to 2015, what you saw a lot of publishers doing is not investing in a lot of original reporting and storytelling, instead saying, we're going to just chase the page views from rewriting the same political stories, the same pop culture stories over and over again, and just trying to game Facebook and game Google to get as many hits as possible so that we can scale, so that we can sell more ads. But what publishers are realizing are, one, advertising-backed media is not the business model right now. Just chasing page views isn't the best business model, especially because you're always going to lose eventually with gaming Facebook and Google. Um, the trick that you're using is eventually going to stop working. The algorithm is going to screw you. So what do you do instead? Well, you provide content that people feel connected to stories that people feel connected to that they're either willing to, that they're willing to pay for in one way or another. It's a huge theme by every media executive like Raju Narasetti from Gizmodo, like uh, Renee Kaplan from the Financial Times. We're discussing about how it's really not about just chasing clicks, but chasing the depth of relationship that you have to people so that when they come and they discover your content, they build a relationship with your media brand, and then they're willing to buy something in some way that allows you to monetize that relationship. Maybe they buy a ticket to an event that you're throwing. Maybe if you're like the Financial Times, the New York Times, which now sees 60% of their revenue coming from subscriptions, they pay for a content product that you're selling, um, either paywalled content or a special paywalled section, like the Financial Times due diligence deal-making section, right? They're willing to convert and pay for a piece of content. Or in the case of Gizmodo Media Group, they don't sell subscriptions. What they do have is a really healthy e-commerce business where they round up different product recommendations across their tech sites, their sports sites, et cetera. And then because people trust them, they like their irreverent voice, they feel connected to this Gizmodo group of sites like Gizmodo or like Deadspin or like Jezebel, uh, they're willing to buy something. So they say, hey, I trust these guys that when they tell me this $100 elliptical isn't shit, that isn't shit. And then you monetize that relationship. And that's where people are gearing towards is how can we tell fewer, better, higher quality stories that will make people really care about us instead of just repurposing the same clickbait stories over and over again? Um, how do we put something 
that's truly new, new, truly novel into the world in a way that our readers are going to love it. Joe, so there's two things I wanted to address. The first thing is there's journalists out there that have the opportunity to cover beats, so in-depth topics. And then there's, you know, the journalists who are covering just the news cycle. So how can journalists cover, how can journalists adopt what you are saying if they're a new, just covering the news cycle? Well, I think there's, there's always intricacies to how you actually craft your story, right? Like how good is your lead? Um, how much are you bringing a human protagonist into your reporting that the reader can immediately relate to? How are you establishing the tension, even in your news story, between the current state of things and what could be? I mean, there's just a lot of fundamental elements of storytelling that, yeah, aren't always the easiest thing in the world when you're writing a 507 to 700 word news beat story, but that you can work to craft in as much as possible. And then if you, you know, if you have real ambitions as a journalist or as a content creator, you should always be working on projects on the side, right? That allow you to flex those muscles more, whether it's a side big investigative report that you're doing, whether it's, you know, a cool podcast you're experimenting with, whatever it might be. Like if you want to really hone your storytelling chops, you should always have those side projects where you're experimenting with new things that, you know, make you feel truly satisfied. So you think either way, if you need to experiment, you need to delve into long form, uh, no matter what, no matter if you are just a general news reporter versus an in-depth, in-beat uh, um, journalist, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if long form is necessarily the medium. Like, it could be video, it could be audio, it could be interactive and graphic design, you know, more visual storytelling. I think that different stories call for different mediums. And you should align it with what you're really interested and passionate about as well. Uh, like I have friends doing just really interesting things in like interactive VR storytelling and, and cool audio narrative storytelling. There's long form definitely isn't the be all and end all um, to how to tell a story. But you should also be looking at your audience that you're writing for. What are they most likely to engage with? Like, are they really into short Facebook videos? Do they really love long form pieces do interactive graphics do really well for them you know the analytics we have at our fingertips as journalists and content creators today has never been greater so we need to look at all that to figure out what's the right medium uh to dive into how do you overlap analytics with with your framework that you've just explained now well we are always from the start taking a very data-driven approach to content strategy at Contently. You know, we have a huge, because we have our own analytics platform, we have a ton of first-party data around what people engage with the most, how what they spend the most time actively reading, uh, sharing, etc. as well as a lot of third-party search and social tools that can give us a really good idea of what people are most interested in. So how I think about that is that data and information kind of gives you the creative box to play in. So if right now I told you to, you know, make up a poem on the spot, you might struggle to do that. But if I told you to make up a haiku about a horse, good chance you could do that in three to five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to argue for a while, so yeah. <laughs> uh, so those creative constraints can often unleash our creativity. 
So that data that tells us what our audience really likes actually helps us make smarter decisions about what type of story we should tell. It's something that like Netflix does really well, for instance. They have so much data about what their audience really likes, what they binge watch on end, where the overlap is. If I watch show A, am I likely to watch show B? That they're able to very finely tune what new series they green light and how they serve that to people. So there's so much power that we have as journalists and creators today to figure out what our audience likes and then give it to them. We just have to put in the effort. So Joe, given that you said this, I'd like to put you on the spot. Let's go through an example. Let's make up a story example together. You think that right, and let's see what where it takes us. So what's something that you interested in and think it's worth t- telling a story about these days? Well, right now I'm working. I'm working on a piece, actually, a lot about what we just discussed around the changing media business model and how media folks are starting to eschew chasing clicks and going more for uh, the deepened relationship mm-hmm. with their audience. That's one thing I'm working on right now. Another is uh, on all of the. I'm working on a story for Fastco about all of these different basically all these different content discovery modules are trying to recreate Facebook on the mobile web and whether that's a good idea or not. Okay, let's look at the second one. Who's the, what's the protagonist in the story? Well, the villain in the story is essentially Mark Zuckerberg because basically Facebook has screwed around publishers for years. And since Facebook changed their algorithm a few months ago, it has prompted all these media executives to turn around and say, like, you know what, screw Facebook, screw this model of chasing page views. We're going to look for a deeper, more sustainable model. Those are sort of like the main characters. I still need to kind of uh, fall on a protagonist as I'm going through my interviews later today for which one of them I'm going to focus on. You basically have this, uh, the villain is Zuckerberg, and the protagonists are these different CEOs of different companies like Adam Singolda at Taboola who are trying to figure out how to create a replacement that will help save publishers uh, or at least give them the traffic they've lost through Facebook. Uh, And the tension here is really between the old model and the new model. So the old model of just chasing page views, clicks on Facebook through organic and paid media and a new model that could exclude that entirely, say we're not going to chase traffic anymore, or we're going to look to recreate this through these new platforms like Engageo that Rev's putting out and Sphere that Taboola is putting out. So we're going back to the old story of not chasing clicks and views, but now you're introducing a new topic, a new aspect of it around what are some of the new models that people can speak, uh, can direct their attention, uh, focus on in order to move away from that. Is that correct? Yeah, sort of a protagonist of these new technologies that are trying to help publishers replace Facebook in their lives. But then there's a larger tension and question of whether Facebook even needs replacing um, or whether they just need to adjust their businesses completely. And what are some of the other steps that, to close off the, the framework that you've present, showed us that for that story? Well, one is writing it in a fun, easy to read, fluent kind of way setting up that tension that publishers are feeling right now between what is and what could be for their model. And then the decision they have to go through as to whether to try and just replace 
the technology that has, uh, has allowed them to do things the old way versus adopting a new way of doing things. Do you think that that's repetitive? I'm just sorry if it's, I'm not trying to take, but I'm just wanna, I'm curious. People are trying to read that same aspect of finding new ways of doing things. Do you think that's still relevant? Sorry, not relevant. Um, I mean, do you think that taking that approach is still the, the way to go in terms of just continuing offering new different things to, to publishers? Well, I think that's the question. My instinct is that what these things, uh, these new technologies like Engageo might or Engagem might not really be that appealing to publishers because of the new way that they're thinking about building their businesses. But it's a little more complicated than that. And that's what I'm trying to figure out in my reporting. Actually, I have an interview uh, with the CEO of Rev right after this. So I'll let you know what I find out. Cool. To watch this space, I guess. <laughs> so, Joe, I think another aspect that which, which is important, and like you said, you you've you can have the opportunity to speak with the CEO um, after this interview. So, networking is an important aspect, and and being able to reach to uh, to different sources and stories. How have you developed your networking network over time, and and how do you think that's important to storytelling and connecting the pieces together? Yeah, I mean, it's always really helpful when you have. Folks will give you different story ideas and different scoops. You know, I spent a lot of time speaking at conferences, going to tech networking events, and you just meet some cool work friends who are often in higher up places who will, you know, give you little scoops of, of things that are happening, will be really good, easy to reach sources, will give you a good quote um, when you need them for a story, or will introduce you to being one of the first users for cool pieces of storytelling technology. Uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise. I think also when you're doing, you know, I just released a book and when you're doing something like that, it's so much of the marketing is just banking in on favors from friends that you've built up over the years, you know, to to buy a copy um, for pre-sales, to share something about it, to write a review, to write a blurb. It feels like there's this big bank of favors that I built up over the last decade um, that I just exhausted completely. And now I need to spend the next four or five years being a giver as much as possible and helping all my friends out so that uh, they might be willing to do me a favor again uh, in a few years when I have another uh, big project that I want to launch. But so much of it is just like give to people, be interested in what they're doing, talk to people, find out you know what they're really curious about, what's getting them excited at work. That'll lead you down some really interesting roads. And then help people out as much as you can. Like you never know when the 21-year-old intern you help out now is going to end up being, you know, the 26-year-old CEO of a really cool startup and that's going to help you in some way. And the more of those kind of relationships that you can build with people, the more goodwill that you can build up, the better it's going to help you when you have help that when you have something that you really need help with. How, how does that 21-year-old understand the goodwill? about giving back, giving to someone, even though that they might not truly understand what that other person might need, even though they say that, that to them, because they don't have that experience, to be frank. How do you think that they can understand that and give back to that person? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're 21 and you're hustling in media, man, like you just gotta, you gotta do everything for everyone. <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta bank up um, any goodwill you can get. Like, I remember being that age and starting you know a news site and news company and just doing stuff for free giving people exposure 
um, just willing to help out with different projects, you know, from getting coffee somewhere to helping, you know, them write or produce a deck or, you know, writing a few stories for free for a publication that you really want to get into and build a relationship with the editor. Like you've just got to constantly give, give, give. And then eventually you get those few breaks that you need. People see that you're hustling, that you're hardworking, that you care. And they'll give you a break of, a, you know, your first job, your first paid gig, et cetera. But once you get a little bit older and you're not that 21-year-old intern anymore, I think it's really important to always try and give back to those people whenever you can because you never know when it's going to pay back. Yeah, I hope everyone has that mindset as well because it, it just benefits everyone in general. Um, so, Joe, with, with that, what are some of the... Looking at a broader picture, what are some of the tech innovations and trends, you know, looking at, given that you have so much in data, in content lead, what are some of the tech and um, innovations that people might be looking at doing or publishers might be doing this year through your platform? Yeah, I think a lot of the big things we're focused on is beating AI in our system as much as possible. So we built this integration with IBM Watson called Tone Analyzer which essentially measures every piece of content that comes through our platform across five psychographic traits to understand the voice and tone of each piece and how that lines up with the voice and tone that a reader is most likely to engage with. I think from a tech perspective, that's really interesting to me. Like, How can we understand the behavioral triggers of for readers based on certain words and language that we use, different triggers that we put in headlines, image triggers that actually makes their brain interested and makes them want to take an action. I think there's so much depth of analysis that we still have to go that in, in that realm. There's a really cool new neuro tracker that Dr. Zach just released. I wrote a story about this for Fast Company that actually allows you, it's just a quick, like really cheap sensor that you put on someone's forearm and then it measures the secretion of oxytocin in the brain, as well as uh, our attention to whatever we're seeing based on heart rate. So say when you're watching a commercial or a film or a video, it can actually see how truly emotionally engaged we are with a piece of content and then do testing and optimization for whether it's TV commercials or new TV pilots or films, um, et cetera, off of that. Another cool thing that it can be, it's being used for in testing is for like events in our daily lives. So if I'm at a conference and I'm hearing you speak uh, versus someone else speak, who am I actually truly more um, engaged with? Who's piquing my interest more? So from the neuroscience and psychology perspective, those are things that I think are really cool. I think there's a lot of really cool technology platforms that are coming out to allow us to understand what people are really engaging with across search and social better. I've been testing out a lot of those platforms lately. We use a number of them, but the amount of data we have about what our audience wants has never been greater. And I think that's truly exciting as a content creator. Those are the more immediate technologies that really excite me um, around audience insights about what people really want. Of course, there's AR, there's VR, there's you know the buzzwords that everyone's really hot on. I think VR, you know, I have a full VR setup in my apartment. My best friends and roommates just made a interactive VR horror film. I think it's really interesting. I think it's still 
a few several years off from mass adoption and vr will always be this thing like video games that's sort of like at home console video games that you need you go and do in your downtime or separated from the world ar i think is really interesting from a utility standpoint in terms of how we use it in our daily lives like try on clothes furniture etc there's a lot of really cool retail applications but there's so much we need to nail first with creating stories for the mediums that people are already engaging with be it, you know videos articles podcasts tv film etc there's so much room for growth there that that's what i'm more interested in than the sort of next platform that's four or five years off Joe, you said that you're trialing off a few tools. What were some of those tools, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so on the on the analysis side, like some starter pack for search and social that I would recommend um, tend to come in cheaper are BuzzSumo, SEMrush, SpyFu, Concurred in England is a really interesting one uh, that's coming up. Really like those guys. On the creation side, um, Boombox is a really cool set of tools for creating sort of more interactive content uh, that's pretty cheap per month. Also, really have loved playing around with Watch It, which is a quick video, short form social video creation platform. Basically, allows you through using like licensed footage and a really easy video editor to turn like an article you wrote into a minute to a minute and a half Facebook video super quickly. Loving playing around with that lately. There's some of the ones that are going to be the most excited, you know, then there's, you know, more in-depth tools for playing around with data viz and stuff like that. But if you need like no skills going in, those are the ones that I'd recommend. Yes, I'm pretty, I haven't heard of a few of those. I'm, I'm, I have a certain SEO background. So a lot of the tools that you said those were familiar to me, but not the other storytelling ones. So that's pretty interesting. Joe, just to wrap up, I guess, what are some of the specific 2018 initiatives content is taking to help embed more storytelling into the product and, and just in general? Yeah, so so much of what we're building is around helping folks create, tell stories, not just in their blog content or their social media content, but throughout the customer lifecycle. So how do you tell stories that you can use for product marketing and sales enablement? How do you make those usually really dry materials um, a lot more interesting? How do you leverage really good storytelling in that realm? And how do you get people get out of their own way, honestly. Like that's a lot of the focus in how we build their platform is to make it so you don't have all these different siloed teams creating content within a brand. That you get everyone on the same page and that they're aligned in what they're creating. And that strategy is really baked into everything they're doing and they're seeing instantly what's working, what's not working. This topic is working, this channel is working, this topic isn't working and optimizing their content accordingly really learning from their audience and telling better and better stories over time. But you can't do that if you don't have the ability to get content out the door, if you can't get a really streamlined workflow, if you don't have a strategy that everyone's bought into and believes in. So, so much of what we're building is to address those pain points that we see within our big customers, because, you know, that's, that's where the scale is for us and for the journalists that we work with. You know, if we can get these big brands, these big enterprise brands to truly use stories to drive very meaningful business results for them. All that money that they're spending on shitty display ads, um, on retargeted ads, just stocking around the web, um, around huge TV commercial media buys that aren't working anymore, 
if they've been convinced them to take that and invest that in really good storytelling with journalists all over the world, you know, I believe that's creating actually meaningful content that people want to engage with. I think that'll lead us to having a little bit more of a positive media world. It'll lead to a lot of journalists having a super solid source of income. You know, we're really proud that we maintain really high rates for the folks we work with uh, and that pay out tens of millions of dollars to working journalists every year. So the more that we can build our platform to scale for those companies, get them to keep investing in content, seeing results from that, seeing that it's more effective than other channels. You know, the more awesome stories we're going to put out into the world, the more journalists we're going to get work for, and you know, the better we're going to contribute to what we want to see. That's epic. I only wish you guys the utmost success with that. Joe, just here's here's an opportunity to plug or you, to say anything that you'd like about the book Storytelling Edge. Yeah, please, uh, please buy it. You can find it you know, on Barnes and Noble, on Amazon, um, possibly your local bookstore. Depends on where you live. But it's a really fun, fast-paced book, very story-driven. Guys, gotten great feedback so far. If you want to learn more, you can go to the storytellingedge.com. You'll find the book trailer there. You can sign up for a free storytelling course on the chain I put together that we've been getting great feedback on. So. Yeah, just uh, just check it out. And if you have any questions, comments, find me uh, at Joe Lazowskis on Twitter. Super active there. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Hope we can speak again soon. Good luck and everything. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com.